Let's pray. God, thank you that you bless us with the opportunity to be in your presence. Not just here in this place when it might at times seem easier, but God, all the time, because you are everywhere that we go. So God, thank you that we have the privilege of calling on you. Thank you that you sent your Son to die for our sins so that we would not have to die in our sins. And God, thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to have faith in you and who encourages and who does so many things in our lives to allow us to live as a believer in you and a follower of you. And so, God, we just come this morning and we give you thanks. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know that old joke, if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans? Yeah, it's kind of been my life the last few days here. I thought I had this sermon pretty well under control this week. I thought I pretty well knew where it was going to go and what it was that, that God was wanting to say. I was happy because it had been a full week and got to Friday morning and I felt pretty confident I had two more days to really get it to a place that I could feel comfortable. And if you don't know me very well, um, I, I'm not the most comfortable standing in front of you speaking. I, I'm an introvert, and the idea of speaking in public just makes everything in me go crazy. Friday morning I was feeling reasonably good about it. It doesn't happen all the time. And literally, standing at the door, all bundled up, ready to walk out, had my coat on, Started the car, saw that my phone was ringing, and it was my mom, and the ringer had been turned off. And so I was holding it, and I could feel the little vibration thing, and I looked, and it said, Mom, and I've missed enough calls from my mom to know that when I see one coming in, I need to take it. She is my mom, after all, right? So I answered the phone, said hello, and in the next 30 seconds, my day, my week, I guess in a pretty real, real way, my, my life, my great plan just sort of changed dramatically in this shaky voice. She said something about Dad not feeling well and they went to the clinic and helicopter and heart attack in St. Cloud. And she said, I'll see you there. And I said, I'll see you there. And she hung up and I wondered what I just heard. And I sat down and the first thing I did was <laughs> check to make sure my shoes were tied. My plan kind of went out the window. And all I really said in response was, well, we'll see you there. And I think as I look back, what I really remember was your father, helicopter, heart attack. That's what I remember. And I look back on it, and what I didn't hear her say is that we're still in New London, and what she meant by that is if you drive over quickly, you could still see him. But I didn't, because all I heard was father, helicopter, heart attack, and so off to St. Cloud we went. Almost beat him, by the way. Um, I realized in that moment that everything just kind of went poof. On the drive, all I could really think was, was, wait a minute, that's my dad. That, that, that stuff doesn't happen. I mean, I realize it happens, but he's my hero. He's this larger-than-life guy. I mean, three generations of students in these towns grew up in his classroom. 
No way. He can't have a heart attack. That is not the plan. Not my dad. He can't die. Not now. No. Not yet. So I, I, I kind of remember thinking, clearly there's something wrong. There's, there, I must have been confused. And so we drove to the hospital in St. Cloud, and I don't think I said three words. I didn't have three words. I didn't have any fear, but I didn't have words. And so then I, I, I start thinking as well, boy, what does this mean about Sunday morning? And that sounds really distant and crass, but that's just kind of the way my mind works. So I start going through the verses that I had memorized on Monday morning, and I thought, well, what, what, what do we do with them now? I, I need to make sure that, that I've got this thing, and people are going to come, and they're going to want to hear from the Word. They're going to want to hear from the Bible. And I'm going through those verses, suddenly I'm realizing it was like Jesus was just speaking right into my life. And so, despite the best advice of some of the people who care about me and are closest to me, who said, you just, you shouldn't feel like you need to preach on Sunday morning. I kept saying that, but I feel like I have to. And as I'm thinking about why, what an odd response, because you're right, I don't need to. A few people offered to step in, and I realized, not just the pastor, but your church to me. Your, your church to my family. Why don't you want to be with church? And, and I realized what it really was is there's nothing I can do in that hospital right now. But there's an awful lot that you all can do by way of encouraging and supporting for all of us. And so I just needed to be here. So thank you. Um, I don't know how people go through this kind of stuff without a church family. I really don't. I run into them all the time and I, I just don't get it. And so I just want to say from Deidre and I and from our girls and from Little Willow, thank you for being our church family. You don't have to, but you choose to. I, I, I said that friends are the family you get to choose, but the congregation, you, you know, we're the people that choose each other. And so from all of us, a very heartfelt thank you for being our church family. So I'm going to try to stick a little bit to the text, but I, I know because I've just been feeling it for a couple of days, it's going to go off in some other direction. And so just bear with me. I'll keep an eye on the clock. We're going through the Gospel of John. It's the fourth verse where we're starting. It's the second half. The Bible kind of breaks it into a whole new section. And Jesus is still talking. Remember, it's just down to the very end of His life. Suddenly that takes on a very different sound to me. And He's saying the things to His disciples that He really wants to make sure that they hear, the last words that they're going to have from Him. He says in verse 4, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But He says, but now I'm going to go to Him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. See, the disciples were sad because things weren't going the way that they wanted them to. The heat was being turned up on Jesus and on them. And Jesus is talking about dying. And as much as they want to believe that He never will, He's talking to them about dying. He's going to go away. And in my mind, I'm going, wait, whoa, where did that come from? Suddenly I'm thinking about dying. Not me, but my dad. And Jesus says they know that they're going to be left alone and they realize that their deaths are going to be next. That hits in a very different way when it gets that close. See, it isn't that they didn't trust Jesus. They're just really bummed out that Jesus isn't doing things their way. He's 33 years old. He's got a lot of life to live. He's not done yet. 
Surely there's a lot of things that He has to teach them, that they have to learn, people that He can impact, lives He can touch. That was their way for Jesus. But He was making it clear that's not the way it was going to roll out. So what's happening? Sorrow? Yeah, they were feeling sorrow. I'm thinking, yeah, you better believe I feel sorrow. But so do you. Maybe not right now, maybe not right in this moment, but you know about sorrow. And the thing that I had missed all week long is that Jesus knows about our sorrow. Your sorrow, your sadness, your grief, those things are not foreign to Jesus. He's not afraid of them. He doesn't say, you know what, you're a grown-up, get over it and put a smile on your face. Jesus understands. Where we run into trouble is not being honest with Him about our sadness. It's where we're not honest with ourselves and we don't bring it to Him. Verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus knows that there's no way that those disciples are going to be able to withstand what is coming. He understands it, but they don't. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in them. He knows that they can't do it on their own. He knows that without the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in them, they just really don't have much hope of continuing on in faith. So when God's great plan to redeem humanity, to redeem you and I, to forgive us of our sins, and to transform us from the inside out and to give us another life, not only does God create us in love, not only does God send His only Son to be born as one of us, to live to die for our sins and to be raised from the grave so that our sins could be forgiven, God goes on and sends His Holy Spirit. That we don't have to try to figure out how to get through life all on our own. See, the Holy Spirit understands that once our sins have been forgiven and we put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus and we know the assurance of our salvation... God sends the Holy Spirit so we can actually begin to live our lives as people who know that we've been saved. Jesus doesn't call Him the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls Him the Helper. And what became really, really clear this week is that a Helper does for us what we cannot do our own. And I don't know about you, but I need help. I need God. I need that Helper that Jesus is talking about. My mom, my dad... We all need God. We all need a helper. But it goes beyond just needing help. You and I, we can do an awful lot for each other by way of help. But we're all limited by the same thing because at the end of the day, we're all limited by death. We're confined by death. Death defines our life. But the helper that Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit is not defined by death. He's not limited by death. And when we really begin to think about that, hope takes on a whole new understanding. I realized my dad needed that helper, and so I drove and I prayed that that helper who is not limited by death or the fear of death would be present. It's kind of odd because I I spent the whole way, Dad was looking at me like I'd kind of lost my marbles. I kept looking the whole way out the windshield and the windows because I knew that helicopter was going to come on a route basically that we were driving. I don't know why, but the thought of that tiny little space and my dad, and I didn't know what he was thinking or what he was going through if he was still alive at the moment. And so I started praying about those folks that are there helping him. I think about it. We get into the middle of the traffic mess and you hear the whoop, 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 whoop. 
I said, there it is. Look for it. She goes, well, I see a tiny little pinhead. Yeah, that's the one. Get a picture. I don't know why that was such a big deal. But it made me realize that the only hope we've really got is what was already there. Those people, those medical professionals, boy, we were counting on them. But you know, the Holy Spirit is what we really needed. The real healer. Verse 8, when He comes, He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is going to do those things. In fact, John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no one, but all judgment is given to the Son. That's when it all said and done. That's the day of judgment. Here on earth, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't convict us of our sins. He tells us how it is that our sins can be forgiven. The Holy Spirit has the job of convicting us of our sins. The Holy Spirit will make it clearly aware to us how it is that we've broken God's heart, how we've stepped away from God's will, how we've gone out on our own. And He'll do it for others, and you and I don't need to. It goes on and it says, concerning sin, because they don't believe in Me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. See, the rule of the world, the enemy of God, Satan, wants nothing more than to use death to separate you from God. He wants to do nothing more than to use fear of dying. Fear of losing someone you care about is reason enough for you to turn your back on God. You know, if, if we can get to those moments and if, if Satan can get in and play enough with your head that suddenly you start relying on fear and anger, you know, he's kind of won the moment. But Jesus says, you know what, even he's going to be judged. What I don't hear in those words is that it's my job. But what I did hear in those words is this. I, I, I hear Jesus saying, relax, God's got it taken care of. Got it all under control. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be worried about telling somebody who's doing something wrong that they're doing something wrong. You don't have to be the Christian police. It's not for you to concern yourself, much less worry about it. God even has my father's massive heart attack under control. That's not a peace that I can come to on my own. I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that. I needed to know that. It was in front of me all week long wasn't until Friday that I really saw it. I need to know that God's in control of everything, all things. God's even aware of the people that I can't do anything about. It's pretty easy to start thinking we can do more than we really can, and it leads to us thinking that we're more important than we really are. And I found myself in a position driving to that hospital where I realized there was absolutely nothing I could do. So I did what I could. I prayed. The only thing I could do was to pray to the one who could help. And so pray is what I did. Pray is what all of us did. Pray is what so many of you did. And thank you. I've never been one much to point my fingers at the faults and the shortcomings of other people. But when you're literally praying for the life of somebody that you love, pointing out the sins and the faults and the flaws of somebody else just isn't on the priority list. And I wonder if we shouldn't live our lives a little bit more that way thinking about and praying about the stuff that really matters. You, each other, the folks in the world that don't know Jesus. Understanding the Holy Spirit as helper has taken on a very new and powerful meaning for me. There's this temptation that I have, and maybe you're like me, that we need to do it all. I am certainly not the ex- exception to that. 
Yet nowhere in the Bible do I see anywhere that God says to me, well, when you become a pastor, you have to do it all. You're on your own. You need to go, you need to go be a shepherd of a flock and you've got to do it all. But God is clear about what He does expect of us. It's things like love your neighbor. To remember Jesus and to do what He's done for us. To keep His commandments. To be obedient to the thing that Jesus, things that Jesus asks. To worship in spirit and truth. To believe in Jesus as our Savior and to come to Him in prayer. There's others. And God does ask us to do those things. But never, not anywhere, does He ask us to do it all. God knows that we're going to struggle with the few things He does ask, much less to do any more than that. And so in His love, He sends us this Helper, the Holy Spirit. So much do we need that Helper that it says even in Romans 8 that the the Helper will intercede on our behalf when we're not even able to pray. And I realized there was a lot of time over the last couple of days where my heart was praying, but my mind was just kind of quiet. I didn't know how to pray. I don't really understand a massive heart attack and five stints and all the hours of surgery and everything that was really going on and going wrong. I didn't know how to pray. If I had, I probably would have prayed for the wrong thing. It's kind of like when you and I tell God, here's the situation, here's the problem, and here's how to solve it. Ever done that? I think my dad is the very fortunate recipient of me not knowing enough. And so the Holy Spirit just kind of prayed for me and I was just kind of quiet. I love that, that the Helper will pray for us when we don't even know how to pray. Times like when your dad suffers a massive heart attack. doctor says he needs five stints for the hope of seeing another day. I don't know how to pray for that. But I realize there's so much of what we go through in life every day that we think we've got on our own. We think we don't need God, we don't need the Helper, we don't need the Holy Spirit. In reality, we are as helpless and hopeless as me trying to pray through how a doctor should handle a surgery like that. So what else does the Holy Spirit do as our Heavenly Helper? It's an important question and the answer is an important one. So important, in fact, that there's nearly 50 of you that meet every Wednesday night with me here to talk about the Holy Spirit. Who is He? What does He do? What does He mean to us? How does He affect our lives? Jesus promised that He'd come, and so what does He do? There's a lot of things that the Bible says the Holy Spirit does, and and to name just a few, He says He lives within us. He gives us hope, peace, endurance, power when we're struggling with things that we can't deal with. He gives us the ability to turn from temptation. We don't have to choose temptation. And He convicts us of sin. But He doesn't ask me to convict anybody else. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to fully understand and comprehend God's Word as well as teaching us to pray. And in those moments when we can't, He prays for us. If we have any hope at all of godly wisdom, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And He gives us all at least one spiritual gift that we might use to fully serve God's church and God's people. In the last couple of days, my family and I have seen God's Holy Spirit, that Helper, at work in you. Forty-five minutes away, we felt it. There has just been a peace and a calm in the middle of all of that chaos. 
Because you reached out to us. You surrounded us with love and prayers. You sat for hours in the hospital with us. You've lifted up my Father to the only one who really can do anything, to our Helper, the Holy Spirit. And I've seen my mom carried by all of it, so thank you. Through two of the most difficult days of her life, Mom stood strong. She encouraged all of us, and she's even maintained her sense of humor. Because the Holy Spirit of God, who is alive in this world, is alive in her and is real through your prayers. But what the Holy Spirit doesn't do is to give us the responsibility to charge or to convict or to point out or to punish other people for the things that they do wrong. So easy as Christians to do that. Well, I've got a little bit of Jesus in me, and so now I'm going to point out all the things that tell me that you don't. That's the stuff that sends us away from church. Believe it or not, those right-intended Christians are one of the best tools the enemy has to empty churches. Nowhere does the Bible say that that's what we're supposed to do. It's not our job. When we take it on ourselves to clean up other people or the church, we're putting ourselves in a position that is not ours to occupy. Do we go to brothers and sisters that we know are struggling and help and encourage them and be honest with them? Sure we do. But what I've learned is that when we put ourselves in the position of doing more than we should, of doing the job of the Holy Spirit, God has this wonderful, mercy-filled thing that He does. And, and maybe it's small or maybe it's big, but He serves us up a nice piece of humble pie, doesn't He? And for all that you think someone else is doing that they need you to help them identify, God has a way of shining the light back on ourselves, which is the Holy Spirit at work, and we realize, row, row. And if you have that moment and you ignore it, the next piece of humble pie will be bigger and the stumble will hurt a little bit more because it isn't our job. The Holy Spirit doesn't need our help in convicting people of their sin. But then there's a different kind of humble, isn't there? There's a godly kind of humble that's given to us by God's helper. It's kind of humble that, curiously enough, I witnessed in a very new way over the last couple of days in my dad. Most of you know him. If you don't, uh, you're going to come back, and if, God willing, he makes it back here one day, you're going to want to know him. He would be probably described by most of us as a pretty humble guy. But I witnessed the kind of humble that can only come as a gift from God. I was told once years ago by a nurse that the most vulnerable, and that's the word that she used because she'd seen this abused. She said the most vulnerable that we are as human beings are in those moments as we come out of surgery when we're still under anesthesia. And we're vulnerable and, and, and in, in situations between families that are contentious. She said we always make sure that we've got someone in the room with the patient. Because there's that time when our brain isn't fully connecting all of the dots between what is in our minds and what is our fully awake and conscious self, we don't filter our thinking the way we do the rest of the time. And she said, what you really get is the most raw and real version of who a, pe a person is. And that can be very vulnerable. Because if you ask them a question about something they might answer differently later, you're going to get the real answer because they can't filter it. 
And she said, there have been some real tragedies that have happened as a result of that. Well, our family got to spend time with Dad as he was coming out of surgery one night on Friday and, and two long surgeries yesterday. And it was interesting to me because he would speak, and, and if you know my dad, his sense of humor is still intact. He was frustrated. Yesterday was supposed to be his spa day, and he didn't get a spa day yesterday. Because that's just who he is. That's his personality. He's more concerned about everybody else. He's worried about why people are giving up time and spending their day there with him. But the thing that was amazing is when I'd hold his hand and I'd reach down to his ear because his voice was very quiet. He's in tremendous pain and none of us really know what's going to happen next. And in those moments when we as a family would gather to pray with him, it was just incredible because he couldn't move. Couldn't even lift up his head, couldn't turn from side to side. You know, we'd be praying and all he kept saying was the same thing. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. At his most vulnerable, that was his thought. Thank you that he's alive. I'm sure that was part of what he was thinking. Thank you that he had friends and family around him, I'm sure. He wasn't worried, though, in the least about telling any of us about our sin. He wasn't worried about pointing out our choices or our decisions or anything else. He was worried about us and how we were doing, and he was worried about thanking Jesus for who Jesus is to him and because he was still alive to do so. I'm quite sure that's the reason. And I realized in a brand new way just how full of God's helper the Holy Spirit my Father is. Because we heard it. It's one thing for us to give witness in our testimony to what we believe. It's something else in your most vulnerable to be that consistent about who your Savior is to you. And I was reminded, he really is an amazing man. Not just because he's amazing, but because he believes and knows personally an amazing God. And that's what Jesus wants for you and I too. That when we're at our most vulnerable, when we're at what might be our weakest, if we can barely say anything, that we would praise God and give glory to him. It's easy to do in a room like this on a Sunday morning because most of the folks around us are doing the same thing. It's not so hard when you're literally hanging on to life by a thin thread. So we're praying that Dad is granted a full recovery from this massive heart attack, but even more than that, we're praying that God's will, not ours, be done. His Dad wouldn't want us to pray for anything else, and that's what Jesus is talking about. He goes on in this chapter right from here. And he says, there's a whole lot of more things that I could tell you, but I'm not going to right now because you couldn't bear them. Well, I'm sure if, if I could look forward and have God tell me all the things that were going to happen in the days ahead with my dad, there's going to be at some point something that I would hear that I couldn't bear. But I am blessed and fortunate right now that I don't have to hear that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. See, we're praying for God's will because... Dad knows where he's going, and so do we. We have that peace. We know whose he is and where he's headed. But what about you? Do you know that? What would your words be coming out of surgery when anesthesia hasn't left your mind and body yet? Do you know where you're going if you find yourself facing death because your heart has decided to explode on you? 
what and who fills that heart? Are you filled with the hope that can only come from that promised helper? Are you filled with your good intentions? Maybe your heart is filled with sorrow and fear. I love and respect my father in ways that I can hardly fathom. And I I learned without any question over the last couple of days, something I guess I've always known, is that I'm not worried about him. I'm not worried for him because my heart, like his, is free of the fear of death because I heard in that weak and trembling voice who his heart is filled with. It's filled with the love of his Lord and Savior. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you, what about you? Who do you cry out to? If you're out of hope, out of chances, if you're down to the last moments, who do you cry out to? At that point, trying harder isn't going to get us very far. This life is short. It's been made very clear to me over the last couple of days. I have been reminded of something I knew but like to forget. Life is short. And it can be interrupted It can be ended at any moment. And God sent His Holy Spirit to us so that we don't need to fear death or anything else in this life. See, the Holy Spirit is who makes Jesus real to us. He makes faith possible and He carries us through when we cannot carry ourselves. It is God's helper that carries us through when we can't even carry each other. So for all the help you might find in this life, for all the help you might need, Please, please, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Helper that God sent for help. Because at the end of the day, that's all we've got. He's the one that God sent to us, the only one who can truly help when those Friday morning phone calls come charging in. And they do in different ways for all of us. So if I can ask anything this morning, drop your arguments with God. Drop your anger with what Christians and church people have done to you. Let go all the reasons and and skepticism and doubt before you're the one that that phone call is about. I said here for years that God put it upon my heart that our job from this pulpit in this congregation is to preach salvation. You know sin. Our job is to preach what Jesus did about our sin. Our job is to preach salvation, and if you don't know about that personally today, you need to know that Jesus loves you. And God sent you a helper who is His Holy Spirit, so please don't say no to Him. See, when my Father's time on earth comes to an end, whenever it is that His life is over, and I pray that is years away, we know where He's going. I was reminded, saw it, heard about it this weekend but what about you would you be certain if that phone call was about you today I'm not trying to use scare tactics I'm trying to be realistic see Jesus loves you he died for you and he wants to give you that assurance he wants for you and I and for everyone else to believe in him so that we can have that peace We need to put our faith in Jesus and not our own good deeds and hard work. 
simple. We welcome the helper from heaven into our hearts so that we don't need to be troubled about anything. Please. And I guess I realize that more than anything else, why I needed to be here today was because it really is a matter of life and death, but it's more than that because it's a matter of eternal life and death. And God doesn't leave you out there to just hang on your own and figure it out. God sent us Jesus to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And then God sent His Helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us live the life of faith that we proclaim. So I told you about our prayer ministry afterwards. They'd love to talk to you. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to help you know and understand in no uncertain terms that you too can be certain that if that phone call is about you and you find yourself in that helicopter, even if it doesn't go well and you end up ending your life on earth, you can be assured of where it is that you will be going. It isn't difficult, but the decision is an eternal one. And so please, please, whatever your argument, doubt, skepticism, frustration with God might be, lay it down and let it go. Leave it at the foot of the cross and accept what God has done for you in Jesus. Let's pray. God, you give us moments in life to take stock of who we are and where we are and what we really believe. I had a gentleman this week refer to those as lifelines. And God, You are so gracious that You throw us lifelines even when we don't deserve it. When we've turned our back on You, when we've walked away from Your promises. God, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for what He did for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit, the Heavenly Helper, who You sent to earth that we might be people of faith, that we might be able to live as believers and disciples and followers of Jesus. To God, for everyone who is here this morning who knows Jesus in a personal way and who has accepted Him as their Lord and Savior, God, I ask that Your Holy Spirit would just be made new in a, in a fresh way, the way that Your Holy Spirit came so alive in the voice of my Father. And God, to anyone who doesn't know Jesus personally, God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work on them would just make You real in a way that they can't explain or deny it. Convict of sin and turn us to You. God, thank You for who You are and for how much You love us. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you're going to say that uh, thanks a lot, but I'm going to wait for later before I start my walk with Jesus, just be aware that your later may be too late. And I don't want to go to heaven without you. It's just really that simple. Uh, Joe, we got the camera moved. So, Kirsten...
Kirsten? 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 She was just here, and she's going to be upset with me now. Just brought a photo that Asta sent her and said, Hey, Dad, take a look at this. It's going to make you cry, which it did. And it is my dad sitting up, yes, in his hospital bed watching us online. So, Dad, there's a few people that got together to have church with you this morning. And so just so you know, Dad, they're all praying for you too. Your family's real big around here. So thanks for joining us. Thank all of you for joining us. Thank you for praying for my father and for my mom and for all of our family. It is good to be a part of the family of God with you. Change. 